Hello and welcome to the Common Sense Gospel. I'm Danny Simmons. And I'm Kurt Norbit. Today our title is A plus O equals R, and we're going to leave it to Kurt. Let him explain to us what in the world that means. Well, Danny usually leaves the mathematical formulas to me, True. which is a big mistake. But actually, this is something I heard years ago. I don't even remember where it was or from whom, but it always stuck with me. The formula A plus O equals R. And it simply means ability plus opportunity equals responsibility. And so that's what we're going to look at today uh, from God's scriptures. Awesome. And so I, I was thinking about this as you gave that to me earlier this week. It's something to be thinking about. Um, it's obviously just a spiritual truth for, for us, having the Word of God in our hearts and, and in our lives, that we would want to find opportunities to share that. We certainly want to know and evaluate whether or not we have the ability, the proper or appropriate ability uh, to fulfill any given work that, that the Lord has given. Uh, and then when those two are there, when we have the ability and the opportunity, then that equals responsibility. I, it means I'm required now to, to move and to do something both with the ability I have and with the opportunity that's been given. And so in Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul is just come out of, uh, where is he, Berea? Yes, he's been running from the persecution in Thessalonica. That's right. And so the brethren there send Paul away. Um, but Silas and Timothy remained there. And so when Paul is headed down to Athens, he commands that Silas and Timothy be following him. They should be coming up from behind. So, so when we get to verse 16, Acts 17 and verse 16 says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. So the scenario is given to us where now Paul's by himself. He's waiting for Silas and Timothy to arrive. Uh, and while he's waiting, he says his spirit was provoked. He's now motivated uh, to do something because he's looking around and seeing these idols that are everywhere. And so in, in verse 17, it says, therefore, based on the huge amount of idolatry that was going on, therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. So now we're starting to get a picture of, first of all, he's provoked in his own spirit to share the gospel, but it's also coming from something. It's, it's his identifying all the idols in this area and in this city. And so he, he wants to do something about it. And, and Acts goes on to tell us that certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, that they encountered him, you know, while he's just sharing the gospel with everyone he comes across. They were interested in his gospel message because, as it says in the book, he seemed to be a proclaimer of foreign gods. And they thought this because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Uh, these men will eventually take Paul and bring him to the Areopagus. And they say, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. And again, it, it's interesting how Luke kind of just pulls us to the side and tells us something. You know, they said to Paul, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. And then Luke, as the narrator says, for all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. So, so now we're given a kind of a background about Athens and the Athenians, that this was just what was going on. Everyone was either telling some new thing or they were eager to hear some new thing. And so it's human philosophy, just, you know, being 
spewed out in every form. They pick up on Paul and his preaching, and then they say, hey, this guy's got a new doctrine. And it tells us specifically that he spoke of Jesus and the resurrection. So he's, he didn't dream up something new. He's telling them the mystery of God that has been uh, concealed since time began and now has been revealed. So when you get to verse 22 of Acts 17, Paul now has both the ability and the opportunity, and we're going to watch him fulfill his responsibility in verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. And so then he begins preaching the gospel to these men in this very special moment in time. But I, I think in this scenario, we can see, we know he has the ability. I mean, everywhere he goes, he is preaching Jesus Christ. And he found an opportunity. And, and to me, the opportunity is he notices that they're religious because he tells them that. He says, I, I can see that you're religious in many things because of all the idols. And then he uses one of the idols that he's seen. You can just see it in the moment where Paul goes, ah, here's my end. This is, this is an idol to the unknown God. They have openly declared that they don't know who it is, but they're trying to worship him. So he says, that's the one I want to talk to you about. Yeah, it's a it's a brilliant um, a brilliant entry and a a, a typical lesson in Acts because they all proclaim the resurrection of Jesus. But here is a situation where Paul may not have necessarily been looking for an opportunity to preach. He's mainly just waiting in Athens, like you said, for Silas and Timothy. But uh, while he's there. He is stirred. His his spirit is stirred within him. He's he's fired up. He's concerned about all the idolatry he sees, and so he needs to begin addressing that. And he he knows that he has that that responsibility to do that. And Paul talked about these things quite a bit, uh, especially with the Philippian church. He pointed out to the brethren in Corinth in uh, 2 Corinthians 8.2 that uh, talking about the Philippian church as an example, he says, in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded to the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we should receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. So, here the Philippian brethren had the ability. They saw an opportunity with Paul to help him in his work. And it says they took, they felt the responsibility so much that they gave above their ability in order to supply for his needs. So he, he tells, I think it's important to, to point out that we're not just talking about giving money here. Mm. Um, because in Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 6, Paul goes through various abilities that people have. They're not necessarily spiritual gifts. He says if, if someone has a gift of prophecy, let him prophesy. If he, if he can minister, then devote himself to ministering. The teacher to teaching. One who exhorts 
to exhortation or to encouraging the brethren, someone who gives uh, with liberality, he says. Someone who leads, well, that's not a spiritual gift, neither is giving, but people have these abilities, and he says to exercise those, to those who show mercy, to be merciful. In other words, use these gifts, use them diligently, and use them to the full. God has given you these abilities, so put them to work in the kingdom. So whatever it is, some people have been blessed with with wealth, and they can use it for the furtherance of the kingdom. Others uh, are very hospitable, so they can use that ability to encourage brethren. So whatever it is, Paul is showing that we need to put that ability, that gift that we've given, that, that talent we have, and use it in God's service. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's just a matter of evaluating myself, and that passage in Romans 12 is, is crystal clear. If you have this ability um, and you know that about yourself, then you know use it, uh, obviously, for the glory of God and, and the encouragement of your brothers and sisters around you, because those are, those are wonderful gifts that God has given to each one of us. And, and in Romans 12, Paul says, you know, by the grace given to me, I say this to you. And so he's saying, I'm, I'm giving you this instruction because of the grace that's been given to me by God. And as he lays out those different things that they could be doing, he says, by the grace given to you, that you've, these, these things are yours and they should be abounding. And so that's a beautiful picture of someone who's spiritually minded, who looks to themselves um, closely and carefully and, and I guess honestly, because sometimes we want to be something or we want to be good at something that we're not or we haven't yet um, been tested in that particular way. So. We need to know that about ourselves, uh, not not what I think I am or what I wish I could be, but what I've clearly demonstrated in, in my life and in my heart. You know where, where my desires are in assisting others, that my abilities will come out. And another another part of that that I've noticed, Kurt, is that members of the church who are also mindful of those gifts and looking around at others who may have them, so some, someone's going to say to you at some point, you know what I noticed about you? you know, it's, And I think when that happens, uh, especially an elderly brother or sister in Christ, they've taken note of something and now they've been moved enough by that to say it to you that this is where you shine. You know, I've seen you do some really special things. Hmm. It, the instinct is to blush or it's like, oh, well, I, you know, I, I do the best I can, but it's not just the way you respond to them. It's, okay, someone just told me that they think that I am I do this well, whatever this might be. And if you hear it again from someone else, then we're on to something. Um, this may be something that you need to step into and grow in, be focused on and be thinking about, because that is ability. And it, so just any of those that you want to pick, let's, let's say mercy. Uh, is there opportunity to show mercy? Oh. Endlessly. <laughs> in any of those, once you realize that this really is, this is where I should be, the opportunity is limitless. It's just a matter of identifying the ability and then finding those opportunities. And I, I, I'll let you comment on it, but I think another part of that for me is even though I'm really good at something and I think I have an opportunity or I really want that opportunity to come, I still have to be careful, don't I, about what is actually an opportunity as opposed to what what could be me getting in the way? 
Yeah, I, I think we need to be sensitive to that. Um, you don't necessarily want to insert yourself into situations like, hey, I can take care of this. And so you jump in where it might be awkward or unproductive. Mm. But I think when God presents opportunities, they're, they're pretty clear. Uh, I can't help thinking of when Jesus was traveling with his disciples through Samaria and he stopped to rest uh, by a well. And the disciples went on into town to, to find some food. And uh, here comes a woman to draw water. Now, you and I, it, it, perhaps Jesus knew she was coming. It doesn't really indicate that. But in any case, here she is at the well. And so Jesus has an opportunity, just kind of out of nowhere. And it's clearly an opportunity. She's there. He's there. And he does a brilliant and beautiful job of introducing her to the gospel and letting her know who he is. And to me, that's just one of the outstanding examples of one who has ability, who's just engaged in daily activity. He's walking through Samaria, stops to rest, and he meets someone. And here's an opportunity then that he is alert to taking. And I that's something I, I frequently pray about is a lot of times something will happen and we kind of notice it, but we get home later on and, and then we start thinking about it and it dawns on us, man, I, I could have said this yep. or I could have done that. I, I should have responded in that moment. And so you have to train yourself to be alert to opportunities when somebody says something or does something for you or for someone else, and you can comment on that and compliment them, that becomes an opportunity uh, to, to teach them about Jesus. So we do have to be careful, I think, about, about jumping into a situation, and I think there is a difference. When the opportunity arises, just take it. Take advantage of it. Uh, I can't help thinking of when I was in Lithuania the first time I was there. I had no plan or intention of preaching or teaching or doing anything. But while we were there, we got to meet the preacher there in Vilnius. And, you know, one thing led to another, and I was invited to preach that Sunday. And so I did. I, I delivered in a, a lesson on faith and tried to encourage the brethren. That was not something I was looking for. Uh, but it just, the door opened. God provided this opportunity, and it led to more opportunities because I got to know some of the brethren there, got to know the preacher a little better, uh, talked to him a little bit, and we agreed that it would be beneficial for me to go back. The immediate opportunity didn't present itself because things happen in God's timing. COVID kind of put a stop to me going over there, but as soon as that passed, then I got back in touch with the, the preacher there in Vilnius, got everything set up, and went back over and was able to spend three weeks using the abilities that God has given me and taking the opportunities that just kept coming in while I was there. Opportunities that I never dreamed of. Doing an interview on a radio station yeah. for a nationwide broadcast, I never thought of that. 
But God provided that opportunity. And with all of that comes the tremendous responsibility of seeing that and then using that opportunity to proclaim truth to a lost world. Yeah, that's a beautiful example of of that taking place. I also like and appreciate the woman at the well and Jesus' interaction with her. Um, Because when you think about Jesus, he could have done anything. He could have said, I am the son of God, and then turned her into a frog, you know, if, if he wanted to. But he gently just asked for a drink of water. And they're tired, they're hungry. You know, we're told that they had been traveling. Um, and he didn't say, well, I'm taking a break. Uh, he saw the opportunity and he seized it. And they, he remains there for, I believe, three days total. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole town knows after he leaves that he is the son of God. And so that was, and they say, say it wasn't because of what you told us, because we've right. heard him. Yeah, so, I love that. So that is just him speaking to them and them, them and their willingness to receive it. And that's the challenge for us is just look for that opportunity. And as you said, there's too many times there's just a key word or a phrase or a statement where someone mentions the Lord or they're not sure if God does this or that. Man, all of those are great opportunities for us to say, you know, the Bible deals with that. I'd be happy to show you where that's found and, you know, give you something to think about. Because now the door's been opened, the opportunity's presented, and because we have the ability, we, we're looking for ways to do that. And that's the, the woman at the well in John chapter 4 is just a beautiful example of that. And I mentioned sometimes you're so gung-ho that you end up just messing everything up, you know, because there's also been the occasion when I went home and thought I should have stopped talking, you know, or uh, I, sh- I should yeah. have stopped pushing or what have you just because of the mm-hmm. way that situation ended. And so that each, each one of those has to be evaluated by us and we can make adjustments but there's some things that we can never do too much of and in Galatians 6:10 Paul says therefore as we have opportunity that's our key word mm-hmm. as we have opportunity let us do good to all especially to those who are of the household of faith i have to be able to determine what's good in, in the light of god's word and then do good to everyone around me especially those who are of the household of faith so i'll be busy for the rest of my life yeah yeah, you never, God has a tendency, as you develop your abilities, and, and we see God working with people that he selected to, to work his work. For example, Moses. He, he put him in the wilderness 40 years as a shepherd to develop his abilities to do the work God wanted him to do. Uh, same with David. And, and so many others. And I believe when we discern that we have a particular talent, like you said, someone might come up and, and say something to us, God might be using that to nudge us. I, I love what one person said once uh, that I knew that was being considered to become an elder. He said, I believe God worked, or speaks through his people. And so I'm willing to hear the congregation's response as to whether I'm a should be an elder here or not, and I will go with whatever the congregation decides. I agree with that. God, God does speak through His people. When you have uh, several people come up and say, "Wow, you know, you you did that really well. You should you should think about doing more of that," or whatever it might be, we should be diligently developing our abilities and preparing ourselves 
for work in the kingdom. And God will honor that. When he sees that, he will provide opportunities in order to put those abilities to work for him. And one thing that will help us to do that, to to work on developing our abilities, is a sense of responsibility. Um, Paul pointed out in Romans that he was indebted to Christ to preach the gospel. He, he felt the responsibility to have to do that. And when we feel that sense of indebtedness, because we're all indebted to Jesus, look what he did for us. Mm. We, we wouldn't have the salvation we have. We wouldn't have the blessings we have. We wouldn't have the peace we have and the, the confidence we have in life if it wasn't for him. We, we wouldn't have the, the joy of brothers and sisters in the church if it wasn't for Jesus. So we're indebted to him for the life that we have, that he's given to us. And we need to take that responsibility. To, in a way, we can't pay him back, but to basically do that. He served us. Now we have the opportunity to serve him. We need to, do, to develop the abilities to do that because we have the responsibility to serve him. We are servants of the master, and so we're, we're responsible for carrying out his will. And I like how you pointed out in Galatians there, you know, if you're looking for something to do, it's all, it's all before you. Ask God, give me something to do. <laughs> he will fulfill that request. Uh, he, he, he's looking for servants. That's right. He's looking for those who will do the work. And so he will bless those who prepare themselves to work and look for opportunities to work. And that, that takes training too. As you said, sometimes it's, it's better to just shut up. (laughs) Yeah. I, I learned a concept when, uh, we were homeschooling. It's called the teachable moment. You have to be alert for that teachable moment. A question might come up. You might be engaged in some activity where you have an opportunity to discuss some aspect of truth. And so you take that opportunity. You take that teachable moment and you address whatever it is that has come up at that moment. And once it's addressed, you stop. Because that's the teachable moment. That one thing is what they wanted to know. Now, if they're curious and they want to learn more, they will ask you. And then you have another teachable moment. Answer that question. And then you can offer, is there anything else that, you know, we can take a look at? So you open that door. But you don't want to abuse that teachable moment, you know, to, to, to seize it and then just dump a bucket load of truth on them. Right. Because they're not ready to hear all that. They are ready to hear whatever it is that just came up. That's what they're interested in in the moment. And you can show them the Bible addresses that in a coherent, common sense way. It, it, it's true. It makes sense. It's right. They'll see that. And as you whet that appetite, they'll come back for more. So be alert for the opportunities prepare your abilities for those opportunities and then and then use them rightly don't don't abuse that opportunity
Yeah, it's 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 wise to notice those moments. Ephesians two ten, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So that's another moment where we can see that there are some things that God has set right directly in front of us on purpose so that we might uh, do that good work that he prepared beforehand. And so that is that is the um, the ever-looking, ever-aware Christian who knows that some things have been purposely set in front of them so that they could step into it and, and do a good work uh, for, for the people around them or just to glorify God. And, and that, again, through that evaluation process that I, yes, I have the ability, now I see an opportunity, and, and now there's nowhere for me to go except to do that thing because now I'm responsible. The first two have been identified, and I need to, I need to see that through and finish that out. And that, that's good for us. It's good for us to be mindful of it and to look for ways to do it and, and never stop. You know, I think to try it once and think, oh, that worked out pretty good. That's not, it's not an experiment. It is a consistent way of life that I'm always looking around and we're, you know, we're tying it obviously directly to the spiritual things that, that need attention and sharing the gospel. But, uh, it goes beyond that. Um, I have the ability to fix cars and now someone says that he's owns a mechanic shop and needs help. I got an opportunity, you know, um, I, I can choose whether I want to be responsible in that pocket to, to do that work for him and to earn a living whatever the case may be. But it, it really can work itself out in a lot of different ways. It's not just the spiritual, but that's what's important to us today. Yeah, it's actually a basic facet of life because when you develop that attitude, you will get better at what you do. When you have the ability to do something and God provides an opportunity and you responsibly perform that, you get better. Yep. Uh, it's, it's kind of an old business adage that, that applies where you're told that if your business isn't growing, it's dying. In other words, there's, there's no way to be static. We can put it in, into spiritual things, too. If a church is not growing, it's dying. Yeah. It's, it's become static. It's become dull. It's become inert. And it's going to die. There has to be constant activity. And even on an individual level, if I just stop doing anything, uh, my muscles will atrophy in the physical realm. Right. But also those abilities that have been given to me will atrophy because they're just not being used. If I just decide never to teach again... I'm not going to be a very good teacher in the future if an opportunity comes up and, I, oh, well, this time, okay, I'll teach. I'm, I'll be rusty. That's right. Same thing with other abilities that I might have. If, if they're not used, they will degrade. If they are used, I'll get better at it. And as I get better, God will give me more to do. He'll provide more opportunities which will strengthen me and develop me even more. And so it's, instead of a vicious cycle, I like to call it a victorious cycle. The more I do, the better I get. God will then give me more to do, which then I'll get better at. And he just, as we keep getting better at what we do and stretching ourselves, developing our abilities, then God will use that and continually open the door to give us more and more to do, and we should rejoice in that. 
is we're able, God has seen us, see, seen us to be able and has blessed us and graciously used us to further his kingdom. And that's really what it's all about. We have the responsibility to glorify the name of Jesus Christ, and we need to do that in any way we can as the opportunities come up. Absolutely. And they will be there. And it's just a matter of, like you said, having the ability and then working on that and improving that ability. Uh, so again, it can be evaluated in many different ways, but the, the bottom line here today as we think about this scriptural concept, spiritual concept, that sitting idle is, is not acceptable. Um, I often tie it to that, you know, someone thought enough of me to share the truth. And maybe that took some time. You know, I'm thinking about my grandparents and my parents. It wasn't a it sat me down and taught me the gospel and then I obeyed. It was a, a period of time of uh, both teaching and living a particular way that was a demonstration to me. And so the message was so important to them that they spent hours with all of the grandchildren. You know, there were, there were eight of us total. And so I had three brothers and sisters and the other had four on the other side, well, my dad's sister, her children. But the point is that there was a lot of time, effort, energy devoted uh, to these young children to share the gospel. And it was because what flowed from that, the heart of it all was their belief in its contents, the truth of the, the gospel, that it mattered and it was worth their time to share that truth with all of the children of their family. Uh, and so I need to have that same drive to go and share that with others because it, it's just as valuable. Everyone is just as important. Uh, the price is the same for each soul. And I think we can all do that. If, if each of us looks back, who, who is a believer, and looks at how we were converted to Christ, it's because somebody had a particular ability they saw the opportunity in us and felt enough responsibility toward us hmm. to share whatever it was that we needed at that moment, God using that to encourage us. In, in that way, he was calling us and encouraging us to turn to him and come to him. And usually it's a team effort. Uh, it, it At least it was with me. It's not normally just one person who just bang, hits the button, and you're converted. Absolutely. It's the input of many people at different levels and different times and in different ways according to their abilities uh, to encourage an individual to seek the Lord, to learn of him, and then ultimately to obey him. Yeah, that's exactly the way that works. That's good. Do you have any other passages no. for us? No, I think we, we covered a lot of what the Bible has to say about that. And I've just, I liked hearing that the first time. It's really easy to remember A plus O equals R. And I've, I've used it before with people and they'll go, what does that mean? <laughs> just like we did today. Yeah. So I give, I have an opportunity to explain it. I believe it is a biblical principle as we've shown. And it's easy for us to remember A plus O equals R. Then I, I know what I need to do. Yeah, that's right. And so do it. Um, we have four trivia questions that we, do. we will ask to one another and certainly those who are listening today. 
Um, let, let me ask you the first one I have. Okay. You ready? Yes, I am. All right. I have my seatbelt fastened. Oh, good. Good. Trivia. Sweet trivia. What was the judgment seat of Pilate known as? Uh... Well, in Greek, it would be the Bema, but uh, what was it known as? I don't know. I've got a complete blank on that one. All right, let me let me read the verse leading up to the what it's called. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat oh, in a place that is called the pavement. Yeah, I figured that would uh, <laughs> jar it loose. Yeah, the, the pavement. Very good. John nineteen thirteen. Well, let's see if I can just get back at you here. Um, there was a disciple early in the book of Acts who's known, who was known as Joseph. That was his name. But the disciples and the apostles nicknamed him or gave him the name of Barnabas. What does that name mean? What does Barnabas mean? I think it's encouragement. Yep, yeah, basically. Or is it encourager? Yes, son, son of consolation, literally, is what it means. But yes, a son of encouragement. That's what he was known for. Kind of ties in with what you're talking about. That was his ability. He was very encouraging to brethren. He knew how to do that. He took opportunities to do that. And the apostles noticed that and actually named him in accordance. Uh, By the way, anytime you see a Jewish name begin with bar, that is son of. That's right. So Barnabas, mm-hmm. he was the son of encouragement or son of consolation. Good show. That's nice. Acts, Acts 4.36, by the way. Okay, very good. Second question for you. Which disciple took care of Mary after the death of Jesus, her son? That would be John. Yes, the apostle John. Yep. John 19, 26 through 27. Yep. Behold your son and behold your mother. From the cross. Yes, yeah, that's right. from the cross. Mm-hmm. Okay, our last one then. Uh, there was a point in time where Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 8.3 when he said, man shall not live by bread alone. What was the occasion for that quote? Why did he say that? Or when did he say it? It's when they came, they tracked him down and wanted him to... <laughs> I think because they, they went around to the other side of the sea and they saw him there and they're like, hey, where have you been? Or, and so he, he gets in discussion about the bread. You came back to me for the bread. Is it anywhere in there? You're looking like it's not. Yeah, it is not. Where, where does he say it? Uh, when he was being tempted by the devil. Oh. When, he's, when the devil came to him after he had been turn fasting 40 days and said, uh, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread because I, I know you're hungry. And Jesus put it in perspective. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I'm going to look into that. I think the occasion you're talking about in John 6, John 5 and 6 is when he had fed the 5,000. And then they followed him and and showed up the next day because they wanted another meal. And at that point, he told them, I'm the bread of life. Right. I'm the true. I'm the manna from heaven. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I got it crossways. All right, uh, we did okay, I guess. <laughs> Not real impressive. 
Oh, well, today. brings us back to reality. Yeah. We'll have to, we'll have to dumb them down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Get back down to our level. Huh? Yes. <laughs> that usually happens. You know, I look online and it says, you know, trivia questions for middle school, <laughs> high school. We've got to go a little lower. Yeah, yeah, really. Kindergarten. I can handle that. Maybe. <laughs> a plus O equals R. Ability plus opportunity equals responsibility. I'd like to give everyone uh, something to think about. I know that within the realm of the church and all that goes on within the church, we are we should be looking around for others to encourage and help along, and you know to maybe make a meal for and do those special things that tell people that we love them. But it's it's unfortunate that. Many times when members meet with the elders or if there's something brought to the deacons to be thinking about or, you know, to look into uh, the preacher, I would include with that, that it's typically the case that these men, they're not addressed by members unless there's something wrong uh, or they they want them to do something else. And it, and it can be framed in a negative way. And I think as members, we should try our best to balance that out. Uh, sometimes th- these men do need to be addressed because something is not right. Something needs uh, attention. That's fine. But it is, it's so taxing on men who are called to lead uh, when all that's ever brought to them is the, the negative that, I, you know, I need this fixed. I want you to do this. Why didn't y'all do it th- the way I thought you would? And those moments need attention, and, and that there's nothing wrong with that in, by itself, but it's just seems to be overwhelmingly the only reason any, anyone approaches them uh, within the church. I, th- I think we need to be more mindful of that. And as you think about that after hearing this, you know, the next time you have services, uh, think about some of those men that are called upon by God to do those important and difficult works. And and you would choose on your own, but decide who to go to and to say, you know, I, I need to tell you that I appreciate what you're doing and the work that you're called to do by the living word of God, that you stepped into that role and I appreciate everything that you do, and I'm praying for you. Uh, that That is a beautiful thing. And, and these men are not Superman. They need help. Uh, they need to know that brethren love them as much as they love the brethren. And so if there's a way to do that, I, I would just highly encourage that because too often I believe our elders, deacons, and preachers are um, taken for granted just in, just in the sense that I've given it. Uh, so be mindful of that and maybe other things that you could be doing to help someone along. If you have the ability and you see the opportunity, then get to it and fulfill that responsibility.